back a few months ago, those uh, adult classes that are using the Gospel Project curriculum were in the book of Daniel, and a member of our class said something to the effect of the book of Daniel being one of the most relevant books that we can look at in this day and time. And uh, a little light bulb went off in my head thinking, yeah, that's, that's right. And uh, so we're going to start a seven-part series between now and when Lent begins on the early chapters of the book of Daniel, a series called God Blesses Obedience. Uh, we know that's a scriptural principle. Uh, we see that uh, in places like Deuteronomy 28 that teaches that God does in fact bless obedience from his children. We see that in Daniel's life and that of his friends. And uh, so we're starting uh, this seven-part series today. I'm going to read this passage for us. It has lots of names that you probably just assume not read. So, uh, chapter 1, 1 through 16. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. In this upcoming month of March, on the third 
Lord's Day, the mission committee of our session is bringing Eleanor Griffin to speak to all of us uh, during the Sunday school hour. And Eleanor is the newest employee for our Board of Outreach North America, a board of our denomination that's primarily tasked with planning new churches in America, but also tasked with moving established churches toward revitalization. But with Eleanor and her hiring, this board is branching out, if you will, in a new form of ministry because her title is Refugee Ministry Coordinator. As you are probably aware, there are more and more refugees coming to America in general and more coming to the Carolinas specifically. And I hope that we as a congregation will possibly uh, be able to host or sponsor such a family depending on what the proper terminology happens to be. I think because of our track record as a, a caring congregation, we will be good at this. And Eleanor is coming to help educate us about refugees and what it means to participate in some form of ministry to them or with them. There are several reasons why this is something worthwhile for us to pursue as a congregation. One is that there are so many refugees in the world today, depending upon whom you read, that number is somewhere around 10 million, give or take 100,000. And I didn't have time to research this, but I would guess that that would mean that there are more refugees in the world today than at any time since World War II. That may not be right, but that would be my educated guess. Just the pure, staggering proportion of need is, is one reason we should be involved in a ministry like this. A more important reason is scriptural. Uh, we know that God teaches us to care for the alien, for the stranger in the land, and certainly that biblical mandate applies to you and me uh, just as it did to the Jews in King David's time or the Jews in Jesus' day and time. In fact, we can see a New Testament reference to this in a roundabout way in Hebrews 13, where that writer tells us, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained, what? Angels, without knowing it. And he goes on to say there, Remember those who are ill-treated. I mean, think about these people. They've literally had to run for their lives. Some of them have lost family members. They've lost their homes. Some of them have lost businesses. If anyone in the world is being ill-treated today or has been ill-treated, it's, it's refugees. This would be the main reason that we would want to help a family or families like that. But what we need to realize is that even as we seek to help someone else in a ministry like this, there's also a serendipitous gift. We'll also be helping ourselves. And the reason that's true is because it's only when we realize that the Old Testament is, a, is the book of a people who knew what it was like to be conquered and exiled 
of people who knew what it was like to be refugees. It's only then that we can begin to understand some of the deeper thoughts that are contained within books like the Law and the Prophets that we find in the Old Testament. A book just like this Daniel that's before us. And that's what we come to see as we think about this man Daniel and his three Hebrew friends. One of those deeper thoughts that we see over and over again, in fact it's an overriding theme in this entire book, is that God is sovereign. God is still in control. You should have noticed that from the very opening verses where we're told not that the king of Babylon had conquered Israel, but that God gave Israel into the hand of the king of Babylon. God is still in control. It makes no difference if our world is collapsing all around us. God still reigns. He still has a purpose and a plan for His own people. And we have to remember that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, as Paul puts it in Romans 8. We can see that, as I say, this sovereignty of God is an overriding thing. But we can also see how we are to live when suddenly we find ourselves in a whole new world. These men have been carried away into a strange land. I mean, just imagine, if you can, what it would be like to be lifted up right out of America and placed in some country like Iraq and have to learn the language, the culture, take on the clothing, new names, everything. That's what has happened to these young Hebrew people. Now true, they've been exiled instead of existing as pure refugees, but the effect is almost the same. They're no longer in their homeland. They're no longer with their families. They're no longer a part of their way of life that they've known all of their lives. And great stress is upon them. But at least for Daniel and his friends, they know where their next meal is coming from. Unlike refugees in our land today, some of them, or refugees in the world. And, and Daniel and his friends know that their next meal is coming from the king's table, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Because I want us to understand, first of all, that even though it may not look like it on the surface, you and I are very much like Daniel and his friends. Just as life carried them away into a strange land, life in this 21st century in America has also carried us into a strange land. The stability of a way of life which certainly our grandparents, if not our parents, assumed they could depend on is long gone. We have been carried away by this world of change into a world that most of us could not have anticipated. And one that we'll see in these stories about Daniel can be a dangerous place. Now if you don't think we've been carried away into a strange land, just think for a moment about our college students. 
Some of you have some of those. You know, they need our prayers. That's why I almost always include our young people in my pastoral prayer. Because our college students need our prayers. If you were able to go to college, think back what that was like. Especially if you were a Christian growing up in a conservative Christian family and all of a sudden you were set loose in a public university like I was. You know, most of you think I went to Erskine for undergrad, but I didn't. I went to the University of North Carolina Charlotte because they have a fine business school and I was an economics major. And I must have walked around with my eyes bulging out of their sockets my freshman year because of the kind of stuff I was seeing on that campus. I mean, like coming out of my room one morning to go to breakfast and there coming out of my sweet mate's room was a young lady, very sleepy-eyed looking. And we were in an all-male dorm. I mean, this was back in the 70s. And this kind of stuff was going on all the time. My roommate, freshman roommate, he insisted on participating one day in this beer drinking contest that one of the fraternities was having. And I had already told him, if you plan on doing that, just know I am not going to take care of you. You do something that stupid. And, of course, you know what happened the rest of the day. I mean, those are just two simple examples of the kind of pagan lifestyle that we see in this world and that's been going on for the past couple of generations. Then there's the sometimes hostile professors that they run into anytime they mention God or Scripture or some kind of, of doctrinal issue from Scripture. They mention it in a term paper or something like that. Sometimes these professors are merciless. Whereas a couple of generations ago, most of them would have been coming from the same Judeo-Christian background and belief system as you and I. But again, as we've already stated, we're in a strange world that's like nothing as it used to be. Now, anytime we're thrown into a strange environment, we're faced with decisions. What am I going to assimilate into? In other words, what kind of changes am I willing to make and what kind of changes am I not willing to make? This is what Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were going through. It's what our college students go through. When they leave their home and hopefully the disciplines they've learned from Christian parents and, and all of a sudden are living a life on their own. What, what am I going to do? What decisions am I going to make? How am I really going to live my life? We can see that Daniel and his friends were involved in this three-year system of education where they're learning the literature and the language of, of the Babylonian Empire, their culture, their food, their clothing, they're even given new names. I mean, that's how far and deep in they're going into the culturation process. Daniel and his friends, their Hebrew names involve some form of, of Yahweh or God. El in Hebrew. But these new names involve, we believe, the names of the Babylonian gods. I mean, wholesale changes are going on. And we get the impression that Daniel and his friends go along with a good deal of what they're learning and what they're being exposed to. 
They're following the advice, I believe, of Jeremiah the prophet, who in his 29th chapter tells the exiles, you know, you seek the welfare of this land in which God has placed you, and that will be your welfare also. But when it comes to eating food from the king's table, this is where Daniel and his friends draw the line. They don't want to do that. Possibly because of a, a couple of reasons we'll talk about in a few moments. We don't really know why. Scripture doesn't tell us other than the fact that Daniel says he doesn't want to be defiled. Well, if we're defiled, we're impure in some way. So something is obviously going on with that. What we need to realize is that the temptation for these four young men would have been to say that this issue of their diet is not really an important thing. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna rock the boat, you know, with these people who've captured us, let's wait until something more important comes along. But when these young men face death later on, they've been prepared for that. <coughs> by being faithful than what some people would have called these less important decisions. Now I want you to hear me. I'm not calling them less important. I think they're very important. I once read about a huge fallen tree in the Colorado mountains. It was believed to have been a seedling when Christopher Columbus landed in the New World. And the scientists studying it could tell that through its many centuries of life, it had been struck by lightning at least 14 times. It had existed through all sorts of extremes of temperature, too much rain and not enough rain, all sorts of storms and extreme winds and all the, the rest. And for century upon century, it survived until it finally failed. And it failed because it could not withstand an attack of beetles. Each one so small, it could be crushed in your fingers. Now this is a great parable for what this text is teaching. Because we too are destroyed many times, not by some huge catastrophe, but by the little things. Simple little compromises that we make with the world week in and week out. To some extent, this is the story of King Saul's life. It's not that he was a refugee. He wasn't. He wasn't in a pagan land. He was in his own land. But some of the things that he thought weren't really that important, and therefore he let them slide, is exactly what God believed was important, and he lost his kingdom because of it. Typically speaking, we have to be faithful in the small things to ever have the opportunity to be faithful in much. We have to live each day with the realization that our faith has to be lived in every circumstance. Not just some days. And then forget about our faith other days or when we're here or when we're there. It has to be lived in every circumstance and must be defended against cultural slide even when it seems like a small or harmless compromise. Now, we can go back to this question of why is this the place 
where Daniel and his friends decide to draw the line. This thing of, of food and what they eat. It's obvious they've decided to live for God, but they've tried to live for God without compromise and regardless of the cost, but we're not sure really what that is because the text doesn't tell us. Some commentators mention the dietary laws that we find in Leviticus 11 and, and 17. Surely that may be part of it since this food somehow is going to make them impure, but the motivation might also be something else we do see in the story. These four young men are in this process of, of education and preparation for serving in this new to them nation. Their minds as well as their bodies are being fed by the Babylonian Empire. It shows you how quickly that empire was growing. And because they didn't have enough managers. They didn't have enough competent people to run this great empire. And so they're pulling in the best and the brightest of countries they They've captured countries that they've defeated, people like Daniel and his friends, to run this new nation and empire. As one commentator put it, if they prosper, then to whom should they attribute their development and their success, Daniel and his friends I'm talking about? The answer would be the way it's set up, the Babylonians. However, by refusing to eat the food of the king, they know it is not the king who's responsible for the outcome. For the fact that at the end of the time appointed, they look healthier than anyone else. I mean, you think about it. If you cut out all the meat, that kind of protein, wine, any kind of rich diet, and all you do is eat vegetables, are you going to get fatter? That's what happens in this text. Only God could do something like that. And that tells Daniel and his friends that God has blessed them for their obedience. And it tells Daniel and his friends that God has not abandoned them. And our good news today, you and me, is that in this world of change and in this pagan world and culture of which we're a part, yes, even in the Bible Belt, God has not abandoned us either. We know we have the gift of His Holy Spirit empowering us to live for Him and to be faithful in the midst of all the temptations each and every day. And we know that we have the promise of Jesus Himself. For Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And then what did Jesus tell His disciples right before He ascended into heaven? He said, I'm with you always, even to the close of the age. It's by His power and presence that we're able to live as faithful Christians even in a world that tempts us at every turn. And may God bless us to that end to live faithful lives for Him. For He blesses obedience. Amen.